Welcome back to the Complete Tech Heads with me, Tom Edwards. And this week, I am going to be talking all things longevity with this week's guest, Nick Engerer, who is the founder of Longevity Media, co-founder at Sage Women's Health, host of the Reverse Longevity TV series, a triathlete, and also has a PhD in solar radiation science. So, quite the impressive background um nick thanks so much for joining me how are you doing yeah thanks tom i think when you read that i think i fit right in with this audience being a tech head right i love all things technology all things science 100%. Uh, you know, saw a number of the things you guys talk about here and i'm in Let's if you are interested in extending your own healthy lifespan then i can't recommend this week's partners enough DoNotAge.org is a company dedicated to helping people like you and me extend their health span through supplementation. On the website, you can check out all of the different supplements that they sell, accompanied by a whole section on the science behind them. You can read the links on where they've got their research from, check out the team that's working on it, and of course, pick up those all-important supplements for yourself. So go to the site and use the code CTH for a 10% discount. You can also find the link in the description for this show. Awesome. Good stuff. All right. Well, look, um, I guess, first of all, it's, it's quite a wide ranging bio, but I'd love to get a bit of an intro to you and how you kind of came to find yourself in the wonderful world of longevity. Yeah, this kicked off for me in 2017, actually, was the moment that I realized that this longevity thing was happening. And it's only grown incredibly ever since. And the thing that triggered my interest was my own personal experience. So I had my, <clears throat> pardon me, I had my wife at the time get a rare form of cancer. I had, and two other friends get diagnosed with cancer all in their late 20s. So this is a fairly wow. life altering experience for me. It brings yeah. me through the, experience of chemotherapy, surgeries, the whole world of responsive medicine. And of course, it saved the lives of all three of those people, which is great. Fantastic. Well done, medicine. Thank you. But as I encountered that experience and went through a number of treatments, watching those people over time, I realized the impact that was on each of them in their body for the rest of their life from that uh, cancer journey and the treatment. And I got curious because I'm a technology guy and I, I started looking around. It's like, why do we not have the ability to detect cancer earlier? <laughs> why aren't we screening for this? And as I went down the rabbit hole, as I do diving really deep on topics, I discovered that in fact, we did have that technology. And this is where my entire exploration of longevity as a technology space, as something I'm personally interacting with kicked off. And one of the first things I ended up doing was in 2018, I went to a premier health clinic in San Diego called the Health Nucleus, run by a company called Human Longevity, Inc., and went and got a full body MRI, genome sequencing, blood tests, et cetera. Those technologies have only improved yeah. over the last six years to be even more credible. We can now test the blood for cancer markers for up to 50 different types of cancer. 
And this whole scene of proactive healthcare, as I call it, has emerged rather than reactive mm. or responsive. It's proactive or preventative. And the technologies for that have only grown over time. And it's clear to me that that message needs to be shared. So that's what I've started to do. Yeah, well, yeah, quite the story. Um, and I share your uh, your feelings on the cancer journey. I lost my dad uh, just over a year ago. Mm. And he was going in and out of cancer treatment for about eight years. Uh, and it was, you know, went from being relatively minor, not, not an incredibly large incursion onto his life and then just scaled up and up and up and up. And, uh, you know, the treatment becomes more and more difficult for the body to handle and process and, and has more of a physical effect over time. So yeah, I can imagine that would have had quite the impact on you with three people in your life all at the same time. I can imagine that would have been very tough. It wasn't in the late 20s, right? So that's a very eye-opening experience. Yeah. When you're in your late 20s, one of the last things on your mind is your mortality. But that mm. thrust that front and center for me, and I saw it very personally and very up close. And it's very difficult to find someone whose life hasn't been touched in that way. Your story is shared. We hear stories in the media of this happening to people with tremendous resources, vast amounts of wealth. And it happens to the people who are all across the spectrum of financial resources, of socioeconomic status. And it, it's a humbling thing, but technology actually has the power to change this aspect of human suffering. And it's already starting to do so. And that's one of the things that really lights me up, Tom. It really lights me up to, mm. to know that we can take the stories that you and I are sharing and have a future where there's a completely different outcome. There's no reason that we can't have people going through full body MRIs, getting blood panel testing for cancer screening, following up on some really easy to detect cancers like colon cancer, catching them at an early stage, creating a protocol where we no longer have this late stage disease diagnosis, full stop. That's completely within the realm of the current existing technology to do so, but it's about accessibility. It's about the demand for it. It's about the existing systems not being set up to work that way. And of course, there's a little bit of resistance about the imperfection of these technologies. They're not perfect. So sometimes they get it mm -hmm. wrong, false positive, for example. But that doesn't mean we should stop the advancement of those technologies. And that's part of something that I see we need to advocate for. And the primary space in which I insert myself is creating awareness. Let's raise awareness about this. Let's get more people to demand these technologies so that more businesses can offer them and then they become more widely available. The economy of longevity grows, and that's already happening. The, the number of people, the number yeah. of clinics that offer this type of thing, the number of doctors who offer it, the number of people going through these clinics has grown so much since that first visit I had back in 2018 to the point where there's several different businesses offering this type of service in the United States alone. Yeah, well, yeah, and not only is the technology growing, I think there are more people interested and engaged in the longevity community than ever before as well. It seems like it's, it's growing exponentially, the amount of different content and influencers and different schools of thoughts on longevity that are, that are around now. So look, I want to get onto the technology and I'm, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on what the most exciting ones are. But first of all, let's just frame the conversation around 
longevity itself. Now, I've spoken to a few different people. I had a, a guy called uh, Alex Javoronkov, who's a, a, a scientist who's who's working in longevity. Who Alex is a friend. Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, do you really? Yes, yeah, so yeah, I have a very oh, wow, beautiful okay. longevity blog, actually. Yeah, Alex is great. He's a forward thinking okay, guy. Amazing. Yeah, he's great. He's very, very clever guy, isn't he? Yeah. And he gave me an incredibly comprehensive answer about what aging is. And so I don't want to do, I don't want to go through every, you know, every single, it was like, it was like a really long list of all of the different markers that you can possibly have that relate to longevity, but like perhaps in a more conversational way, what are the, what are the basic principles around longevity? What is it that we're really looking at? Are there any, you know, a senescent cells, the big one, or you know telomeres the big one is there any primary thing that you that you think is especially interesting as someone who's communicating about this or is it truly just a constellation of so many different things that it's impossible to identify individual I love this question tom i love that you've asked this question and i like that you can lead in with alex zavaronikov his answer because yeah i know well i'm, I'm glad well, you know him yeah entrepreneur, scientist, can tell you the latest research, is working in AI discover, drug discovery. The man is absolutely brilliant. He can tell you that answer better than I ever could. The cellular mechanisms, the latest research, hallmarks of aging, mm -hmm. walk through all of them. But th this is actually case in point, one of the challenges in the whole discussion is that this stuff's complicated. Biology yeah. is complicated. That's an understatement. Metabolism, which is one of the primary mechanisms in which we develop the aging process, is so vastly complex that we can't create a diagram that contains it all. This is really one of those problems that AI is going to be valuable for, assuming we can create the right dynamic models and express the relationship and let it dig in and show us, because it's well beyond our comprehension to even understand metabolism, which is driving a lot of the aging process, because metabolism is dirty. It's imperfect. It's creating advanced glycation, glycated end products that your body can't digest. It's creating types of fats and uh, liver byproducts your body can't digest. It's this complicated thing. So we could go through all of that, but I love that you're looking for something a bit different because that's really where I like to put myself. And you mentioned the word principles. So principles is exactly where I think it becomes more accessible for people because it's less about how aging is working, what longevity is driven by in terms of living longer, healthier for longer, and more to the point of what do I do about it? What can I do? Well, yeah, about that, it? that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we have to look to, to boil it down to something more simple. I like to look at it through the lens of evolutionary biology. So this is brilliant scientist, Michael Rose, who's worked with fruit flies. And he has discovered that the primary way to make fruit flies live longer is actually to have them reproduce later in life. They could do this over multiple generations. It actually extends their lifespan well beyond anything that uh, any of the drugs that we're talking about, supplements, any of the rest wow. of that can do. Because you're, you're playing with evolutionary biology. And one of the mechanisms that he, talk of, he talks about as being really important is the ability for the body to adapt evolutionary biology is driven by this adaptation process. So youthful characteristics are 
being able to be adaptable. They're all characterized by that. You could think about curiosity, learning, healing quickly, learning new skills fast. The things we see in children mm. and teenagers, they're very adaptable. The reason that they're adaptable is because that's what evolutionary biology demands of them to stay ready for the environment, to stay able to reproduce again. And as we mm. age, we lose that adaptability because we no longer require it because we've reproduced. The purpose of mm. biology at the fundamental level, boiling it way down simply, and scientists would have a problem with this, but the everyday person can use it. The purpose of your biology is to reproduce. That's it. Yeah, here's another here's one example yeah, to add right. on to that. This is the one example. If we look at the biological age of women that go through menopause, they will age nine to 10 years in one year biologically because they've stopped wow. being fertile. And this evidence yeah. for this is around us. So I think we look at through the lens of adaptation, we can pull out those principles that define what it means to be youthful versus what it means to be old. And we can maximize the presence of those youthful characteristics in our own life. And the most powerful way to do that is mm. with our mind and with our behaviors. So we can dive more into that. There's a bit of a different answer than you'd get from Alex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, so let's talk then about genetics versus lifestyle. We, you've kind of touched on this idea that we can have an impact on our own longevity, which is good news for all of us. Of course, a lot of it is also going to be pre-programmed in our DNA, in our genetics. It defines us all. So how do you think about the balance between genetics and lifestyle when you think about your own longevity? One of the topics that we just discussed when I was filming this longevity docuseries in Costa Rica at the start of January, so just last month, was genetics epigenetics, lifestyle, what's the balance in terms of longevity? Could you just uh, define epigenetics for uh, Yeah, for absolutely. I, I'm so, aware from my background on Alex, but uh, yeah, if you could uh, just, just tell us what you mean by epigenetics. Yeah, layman's terms for this one. So genetics is the code. It doesn't change. It's the information that is present in our cells so that we have the information required for each of those cells to reproduce, um, to pass down to our offspring, to heal wound. It's the information that we need. Epigenetics is the layer on top of that, that is effectively kind of wrapping up the DNA in little coils. It's really fascinating how it all works. You don't need to know too much about that. And it wraps it up with something called histones and you can dive deep on that if you want, but its role is to control the expression of that information. So this is how you can have the same DNA, but you can have a retinal cell, you can have a skin cell, you can have the stem cells in your heart, you can have a liver cell, kidney, et cetera, with the same DNA is that the epigenetic information is telling a cell what to be. It is the layer on top that tells our DNA how to be expressed. And so epigenetics, is found to play an exceptional role in aging because what we see happening is that cells are losing that identifying information. They're not as clear on that information as they used to be when they were younger. Right. Yeah. Like the, like the person themselves, <laughs> less clear yeah, yeah, on absolutely. the, <laughs> yeah. less clear so, on information. Yeah. 
Yeah. So in, That's the, in that discussion, we were realizing, and this, it goes right back to the question you asked, is we used to think genetics, the DNA, was really important for longevity. In fact, we did a lot of research on this question. Like, why do some people live to be 110 years old? Why do some people live to be 100 and others don't? And we found some longevity genes, genes that might help you stay healthier for longer because they improve the way your body functions efficiently in, in terms of efficiency and the longevity of it. But we didn't find anything too convincing. And in fact, the science has actually swung over the last five years, even pretty strongly over to, you know, we're thinking that it's 70% about genetics, then maybe it's 80% about genetics and 90% about genetics and the other percent being about lifestyle. We're on, we're at that 90, 10 right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if it goes a bit further. And genetics wow. are actually playing much less of an important role than we thought because of the power of lifestyle. And that's the thing that's emerged as being really important is that the lifestyle factors, diet, exercise, sleep, mental health, slash stress, anxiety, those four things are determining how your DNA is expressed because they control the epigenome the epigenome that I just, just described to you that mm. contains how the information is expressed. That is the key. And if we live a healthy lifestyle, we can actually change how our own DNA is expressed. And even if we carry risks, known risks for breast cancer or Alzheimer's disease or any other type of genetic predisposition toward disease, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's our destiny. That's what we've learned. Lifestyle factors the way we approach that in our life over time is the most important thing because it's controlling how that DNA is being expressed. So it's much less about genetics than we ever thought before. It's more about epigenetics and the epigenetics are controlled by lifestyle. And we know that these mm. things about a healthy lifestyle are fairly commonly understood. But what's not commonly understood is that by doing those things in a healthy lifestyle, you're not just going to be healthier, maybe thinner or feel better, you're going to live longer. You're going to live longer. And the earlier you do that, the better you do it, the longer you're going to live. We can live five to 10 years health, more healthfully for longer. We got five to 10 more years of health span if we start doing those things early in our life and follow them through. We know that now. There's little to no question about that. Of course, there's variation on the individual level. Something terrible could happen to a given individual that just frankly is bad luck. But on the whole, mm. as science approaches things, we know this to be true now. And that's one of the key messages that we want to get out there with that docuseries that I put out there is that you can change this health destiny. That's really powerful. Mm. And so the, because obviously some of us are not super young anymore and have spent much of their younger years drinking and smoking and all the rest of it, fortunately, not doing either either of those things now. But how is how is it all lost by the time you get to thirty, forty? Like how 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 much are you able to pull it back from a misspent youth? Well, one of the interesting ways to answer this is by measuring the biological age of the epigenome. 
So there's this concept, and I, I don't okay. know that I've seen it on your channel before. You might have brought it up when you talked about Brian Johnson. Have you talked about biological age before? Yeah, uh, briefly. Um, I have I have talked about Brian Johnson a fair bit. I talked about like longevity, escape velocity. Uh, doing yeah. doing Brian Johnson. Uh, okay. uh, so I'll yeah, we, we have we, we talked about it a bit, a bit, but not in any great depth. So yeah. Okay. I'll introduce this concept. It. So biological age is differentiated from chronological age. So chronological age is how old you are based on the date on your passport, how many times you've gone around the sun. Biological mm. age is how old your body looks biologically as compared to other people of a similar age group. There's a lot of complexities there. There's different generations of clock and the more advanced biological age clocks are actually able to express your biological age in terms of the likelihood that you will develop certain diseases how close you are to right. getting diseases of aging and, and dying. So we know that somebody who is in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s, I saw somebody in their 60s doing a tremendous job with this just this week, that we measure their biological age. They're doing all the things that you just said they've done for decades. Or maybe they did it when they were younger and it impacts them now. They're smoking, they're drinking, they're not eating well, they're not drinking enough water, they're not exercising, they're sleeping like crap. That if they measure their biological age, improve their lifestyle, within six to 12 months, they can improve their biological age. And the way that we're okay. measuring so that improvement is, is in the epigenome. We get that data from the epigenome I just described to you that's telling us how mm. DNA is expressed. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's never too late to start. And in fact, some of the people who are the most advanced with their chronological and biological age have the greatest room for improvement. So I know a gentleman just this week who's he's in his mid-60s, late 60s actually, his biological age was 75, and he just retested and it was 15 years younger after he made wow. a huge changes in his life. So this wow. is one of the what had he done? What had he done to to make that change? Was it had he All done right everything? Things. Had he transformed his diet? Stopped smoking? Yeah. Like was it, or was it just small changes? It was a big sweeping set of life changes that was guided by a longevity yeah. clinic. And right. Okay. Okay. Because I don't want Great. to reveal who this person well, is. Well done to the longevity that. clinic. That's uh, yeah. They, that's they, a hell they, of a they result, were guided basic things: diet, sleep, exercise. No, that mm. was the biggest changes that he made. And mm. often people let that phase in life benefit tremendously from hormone replacement therapy. So men getting oh, really? testosterone support. So what was he getting? Yep. What was your question? Uh, so, uh, uh, so testosterone, I assume that's what you're talking about when you mention hormone replacement. Yes, that's correct. For men, it'd be different for women. We can talk about that as an illustration for why that might be useful if we go all the way back to what I said to you at the beginning about evolutionary biology. So yeah. what is testosterone driving a man to do? To be more youthful. <laughs> Full stop. Yeah. People think just about the sexual parts about that, but that's, that's a youthful characteristic. When we take a, a governing hormone like testosterone and we lift it back up, what come out comes competitiveness back on muscle growth, energy, sex drive, a whole host of other good things about your hair and skin health. 
it's a regulator for expressing a more youthful, what we would call phenotype in the science, a more youthful expression of yourself. And it really drives a lot of things in your body. So finding knobs like that, that we can turn with supplements or injections or pellets, like they do with some testosterone therapies that express, make the body look more youthful within will bring that out in the biology and the expression outwards and can change the biological age um, at the epigenetic level. Interesting. So testosterone then, it declines as we age. What's the, what's the risk of declining testosterone? Is it just literally the inverse of what you were just saying? So you just become less youthful. Yeah, effectively, if we want to keep it simple. Yeah. I mean, and I, oh. I wouldn't be in no position to explore all the downsides of declining testosterone. That's more of a medical discussion. But if we mm. keep it at that high level, that's right. So if the testosterone levels are dropping off, you are that's one of those governing hormones for youthfulness. You're becoming the opposite of those things. You know, there's less drive, less competitiveness, less refresh and turnover of cells, less muscle growth. The things that actually are characteristic in your mind of aging, when you think of an old man in your mind, you think of somebody who is slow, weak, doesn't really have a sex drive, probably takes a long time to pee because his prostate has swollen up so much without that healthy testosterone. And you're falling out. These testosterone the has an impact on, on your prostate then. There's a complicated process going on there with, um, yeah, I don't think I'd be qualified to go into all the details around what's happening okay, there. That's but this that's, that's one of the characteristics of aging. Most men end their life with prostate cancer and the declining levels of testosterone are related to the health of the prostate through multiple mechanisms. One simply just being function. You're not using it as much. You've... So did you say most men end their life Yes. With prostate cancer. With, not from, but with. Wow. So it's yes. that common that, and, and presumably becomes like a chronic managed condition for many of them who, who, who don't die of the prostate That's cancer. That's correct, itself. Tom. That's correct, Tom. Many wow. men at the end of life are having to catheterize themselves to, to urinate. Um, they are dealing with, uh, loss of prostate function. Some of them have to have surgeries, no longer have a prostate, which is obviously very disappointing for men. And it's a big problem for men in late stage life. But it's a great yeah. example of how we can think ahead. If we know that that problem exists, what can we do about it? Turns out there's always something you can be doing. And every day you're alive, there's yeah. more you can be doing to stay youthful in all those yeah. different ways, prostate included. Yeah, I mean, it really is horrendous aging isn't it it's it's really there are so many things that can go wrong and the frequency of them going wrong just increases as as we get older so i think it's absolutely an admirable thing to be dedicating your life towards to have as your mission i've had other other longevity people on who've said that really they're not actually uh, 
working towards longevity, what they're really talking about is health span, that they just want to eliminate those those bad things that happen towards the end of life, but they're not really expecting human lifespan to increase to any significant degree, certainly not by hundreds of years or anything like that. Would you say you're one of those? Are you more on the health span side or are you on the no, we can really extend human lifespan here as well side? That's a very important question for the longevity community as a whole to participate in mm. answering because there's such a different set of opinions about this. Because ultimately, Tom, what are we doing? We're projecting into the future 50, yeah, yeah. 100 years into the future. Humans are notoriously bad at this. You know, if, you had, <laughs> if you had just gone yeah. back two years technologically with what's happened with quantum computing, AI, um, even some of the developments we've seen in the global economy in terms of cryptocurrency and centralized banks going to digitized currencies and all the rest of this, you would be unable to predict most of those things because they're moving so quickly. Now we're talking about moving 50 to 100 years into the future with accelerating resource for engaging with these problems. So, I mean, just the combination let me just give you one practical example. Your audience will like this. The protein folding problem, okay? Proteins, which are what your DNA contains the information to create. You know, your, your DNA gets replicated and it gets lined up and then it makes the proteins that the cell needs to recreate itself. And then all the pieces are there and fold the puzzle back together. Proteins are incredibly complicated and they actually change how they interact with other proteins and other Thing, other systems in the body based on their three-dimensional structure, which is changing mm -hmm. in time. We can't actually solve that problem very well with very powerful supercomputers because of its dimensionality. It's highly nonlinear process. And we crank that through supercomputers and maybe figure out one or two new proteins a year. We put that into a quantum computer that's designed to engage with this problem and we're solving for hundreds of them. We're creating an entire library that would have taken, I can't remember the number, but it's some, like each, people would spend an entire PhD figuring out one. So we've done something like 50 million man hours of PhD work with a quantum computer in a matter of months on one of the most complex and difficult problems in biology. So when I hear my colleagues talk about not being able to change human lifespan significantly, I think that they are not paying attention to what's happening technologically. And they're unable to project forward into the future and see the relationships that will emerge between biology, computation, and, and the impacts that that will have on longevity. If you remember back when I was talking about metabolism and how complicated it is, we will be able to approach that problem more powerfully with AI and quantum computing than we ever have before. And we're gonna figure out how it works even though we haven't been able to do it for decades with the human mind alone. So the whole landscape for technology is changing and your channel talks about this all the time. You guys understand this. And I think that most of the answers that are pessimistic about human longevity, extending lifespan are not paying attention to what's happening in the global technological landscape 
And they're not then also projecting forward because the world in 50 years, the world in 100 years is so phenomenally different technologically and in our understanding of biology and computational resource that I don't believe anyone can say with any degree of certainty that we won't be able to extend human lifespan significantly. I think it's mm. actually the opposite. It is highly probable that we will become able to extend human lifespan significantly 50 years into the future. That's just, I think that the fundamentals of that are very sound. And I guess that is really just assuming the same rate of technological innovation, right? That if we can keep innovating to the same degree that we have done up until now, then you would imagine that we would be able to make some changes, although we haven't yet, right? Like we've got to this kind of plateau at the rough tail end of the human lifespan, the way it's always been, you know, around a hundred years max. And we don't seem to have been able to impact that so far, right? Medical side, we even really, really rich people like Charlie Munger, right? Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, multi-billionaire, still couldn't stop himself from dying at 96 or something. So why do you think that is, given how far medical science has come, why do you think that we're still butting up against this human lifespan limit so far? The challenge in the information and the, the hypothesis that you even just offered is that the hypothesis is that we've, we've been unable to extend healthy human lifespan thus far. We could create yeah. a question around that. That'd be a bit more scientific, but that's the, the well, yeah, I mean, and, and just to be, just to be like super, super clear on it, I think there are probably, and I don't know the data, maybe you do. There are probably more people now getting to an old age than there ever have done, yes. but we don't seem to be able to push. There's, there's still, there hasn't been a 150 year old ever. Like we're, we're not incrementally moving the upper limit up. We're just bringing more people to the upper limit. It seems like. All right. So let's go back into the data that you just mentioned, because I think it starts to suggest something slightly different because okay. we are seeing that people are living into their nineties and into their hundreds with a greater frequency in terms of just per capita. Um, we know certain countries have greater possibility for doing this. Japan being a great example. You hear the talk about the blue zones. That's another good example, mm. although the definitions there are pretty dubious. They're still interesting for this case. So we're already seeing that people are living into their 90s more frequently, into their hundreds more frequently with good health and vitality. So in that same data set is what defines what human lifespan is. So we've had one French woman live to 122 years old. So that's the upper limit for lifespan. Mm. But that woman did not have access to any of the resources that we have now. The people who are living now had access to more resources than she did. And the data is already showing that the averages, the median is going up. Sure, we haven't seen that maximum pushed yet. But it takes, if it, we've got a cohort of 100-year-olds right now in Japan who are doing pretty well, it's going to take us 20 years to know if they can break that record. 
And that mm. therein lies the biggest challenge in all this is that we're making that assumption based on data. The experiment we're running runs at the rate of time and therefore it takes really, really long periods of time to prove, even with people who are in their hundreds, it's going to take us 20 years to see if they can break 122. They may well be on their way. The person who is the first person to live to 130 could be in that cohort. And mm. if they start leveraging all the technologies and resources that we have available now, they're much more likely to do it than that single French woman was. And all of us yeah. who are playing the game now with a lot of foresight, we're not, we're not in the same statistical distribution as the people who are 100 years old now. They, when, yeah. when were they born? No. Just take 100 years off the current date. So 1924, 100 year old today? What, yeah, did, what resources did they have? What knowledge did they have? How did they take care of their yeah. skin in the sun? I'll, I'll tell you what resources they had. They had cigarette adverts for resources. Yes. <laughs> and what a pint of Guinness a day things? keeps the doctor away for resources. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and so we don't know what that crazy. upper limit even is. It's hard to, to create that scientific experiment and prove it. And a lot, we have a large number of molecules that we know can improve the lifespan and pharmaceuticals that can improve the health span and the lifespan of multiple animal models because we can test those because the mice only live for two years. The worms only live for two weeks. You know, the fruit flies only live. Mm, right. Yeah. We can do it in a microcosm. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we know that that, that, that potential is there. Now, of course, translating that to humans, we can never do that just off the cuff. We have to show it in the data, but that takes a very long time to prove. So yeah, the, it remains to be seen, Tom. And so the, the whole discussion there is a, is a very tenuous one because we can't really hang our hat on either point. So that's a long yeah. walk around the block to answer your question. And so yeah, I think we are, it's very clear that we can impact our health span by five to 10 years by doing what we know we need to do now using the resources we have available now. The longer we stay alive, the more technology there is to help us do that. And right now, that five to 10 years that longevity community, the health community can offer you, um, that, that gives you some pretty incredible advancements. If we just look at what's happened in mm -hmm. the last five to 10 years with technology, that's not to be yeah, underestimated. Yeah. Well, look, and it's, it's still worth doing just to have a healthier, you know, whenever you end up dying, you st you'd rather be healthy all the way up to death than, than not, right? I remember oh, reading... About no question. reading about a guy who um, who died. He it was in a news it was in a local newspaper or something. He was a ninety eight year old cycling enthusiast, right? And he he died in a cycle crash, uh, and and died instantly. Cra crashed into something. It was you know tragic, horrible, horrible thing. But I remember thinking, you know, this guy's died doing what he loves and he's clearly had a really healthy life all the way up to 98 because he's in a cycle race you know this is where he died he died in this race so i thought that's kind of in a in a weird and hopefully not too morbid kind of way kind of what we're all sort of shooting for i kind of thought to myself well i probably wouldn't mind that you know if we, we, we wouldn't have known much about it and he's doing the thing he loved which is a very active exercise right up into his late 90s you know, fair play. Like that 122 year old 
would have been retired for half of her life if she works, you know. But retirement is an outdated concept. Yeah, retirement is a broken concept. Yeah, right. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, we haven't even gone into that. The, the the social implications of an aging society and and the retirement age not moving. It's just, I mean, it's a a disaster waiting to happen. I mean, do you think about the social implications of what would happen if and when? we do have this society that is that is aging when we've got fertility rates below replacement and a, a society that's pushing to get to older and older ages. Do you think about that at all? Absolutely. And I had a really great discussion about that fairly recently that I'll share with you. And let me just park that for one second, because okay. I want to just touch on the point you made about dying in the cyclist example. Okay, and sure. Go ahead. That, yeah. that is one of the biggest motivators you can take away from this discussion is that the archetypes of aging that you have in your mind, this is the longevity mindset. This is the number one thing I like to talk about. You think that getting old means that you're weak, you lose your dependence, you have all these terrible things happening to your body, that you um, don't feel like yourself anymore, you're not happy to be alive. That man riding his bike at 98 throws off all of those labels. And there is mm. abundant evidence just in your own community. Just open your eyes and look. You will see the people doing the work, doing what they love, showing up each day, staying healthy, happy to be alive. Now, there might be only one of them for every 50 that's on the couch using their walker to get to the bathroom and miserable. But that one example is really powerful because you can be that example. Nothing keeps you from being that example other than your own mind and your own desire and purpose to stay healthy and be alive. That's what separates the person who's out there riding his bike at 98 from the one who's sitting on the couch, unable to have the independence they want and miserable. And we know that lifestyle mm -hmm. changes that. So great opportunity to introduce longevity mindset. It's one of the big yes, things I like to talk about. Sure. And that then allows us to actually go into the dis this next discussion, discussion around the social implications, because the people we're talking about creating more of at later ages are the 98-year-old cyclist. We're talking about shifting the demographics of society so that people who are older are healthier. And there is no better shift in society in terms of the, the mechanisms of how our system works than having old people not be a tremendous burden on our healthcare system. Yeah. And I like that point. word old used there because it is the people who have gotten old, the ones who have lost function, who have let themselves go that are the ones that burden the healthcare system with four to five different chronic diseases and a really miserable last few years of life. It's the people who are chronologically old, but biologically young and young in their mind that are staying healthy with that aligned purpose, showing up each day, doing the work, that are doing deadlifts at 74, that are running sprint races at 85, that are cycling at 98, like your example. And those are people who are still in society with a sharp mind and a sense of purpose. Well, many of these people are gonna wanna keep working. They're gonna wanna keep contributing to society. Yeah. They, you could see some examples. I found a great example of a woman who's in her 80s and she leads fitness classes once a week, but she Fair needs play, a Fair play. Right? Good so on she's you. still doing it. She feels alive. Yeah, it drives yeah. her to do that. We are going to shift 
the, the whole concept of retirement will change because people who are staying, who are going to do the young, healthy thing will still feel young and healthy and want to keep being engaged, want to keep contributing because they'll be able to also choose careers that are more aligned with purpose and less aligned with labor because of a lot of the other shifts that are happening in society um, in terms of what mm. artificial intelligence will start doing for us, what robotics will start doing for us. People are going to be able to choose more rewarding pathways. And let's not forget that the entire concept of retirement, I had a great conversation with Bradley Sherman on the docuseries, reversed longevity docuseries that'll be released later this year on this exact subject. You know, what are the pressures that this longevity future creates on society? And there's a lot to unpack there, but the, the takeaway is that they're actually far more beneficial than they are detrimental. At a very surface level, okay. most of the world's concerned about population growth. 8 billion people we just ticked over at the end of 2023 on this planet. Okay, that seems like it's going to be a problem. But the actual real problem is what you just mentioned, which is demographic shift so that population is shrinking in mature economies. Mm. Right? So For we actually fertility, want people yeah. to work fertility for longer. Is the, is the big problem. It is. Yeah, it is. And the reason it's the big problem is because old people burden the system and don't contribute. But the longevity driven mm. future where people have five to 10 more years of health span, which is what I can offer you right now, let alone what I can, what we can offer you in 20 to 30 years from now is then five to 10 more years of not being a burden on the medical system and potentially contributing to society with your creative skills and purpose. The people that are going to be mm -hmm. taking advantage of this are going to be supporting that system economically. And it's a very different picture than the traditional one we've painted where all these people are old and sick sticking around for longer. That's not at all what how this works. Mm. Yeah, I mean, on retirement, I, I can't think of anything worse than traditional retirement. She's doing nothing, you know, she's going on holidays and doing nothing I, I just it sounds like purgatory to me i can't i don't think i'll ever retire fully i will not and just do nothing i will not either yeah, and in I, fact if you care about your longevity you won't retire particularly as a man because men okay. are more likely to die in the five years following retirement than any other period in their life really the, wow. Because men's sense of purpose is so tied up in their work and our social network becomes so tied up in our work that when we retire, we lose our sense of purpose and we lose our social network. So those two factors are really important for wanting to be alive and for being a healthy person. If you, meant, if you wow. go back and listen to the things I just said, the number of times I mentioned purpose being connected to longevity yeah, is huge. Yeah. The next thing that's going to come after that is, is connection with other human beings. So mm. those are both often lost. Yeah, there's no better place as a man to, to be in a gang with a mission, you know, yeah. just a group with, with, uh, with, with some kind of mission. Yeah. That's where you, you feel happiest. So yeah, there you go, lads. Never retire. <laughs> Keep working. Never retire. You just do what Never you love. Retire. Do what you love. Yeah. Dig in and, and, and work. Work, work, work until you until you die, or don't die. <laughs> work, 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 and never, never die. <laughs> That's why you gotta enjoy what you're doing, Tom. Do work that you love. 
do whether you love it of course of course yeah and 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 you're right you know technology is gonna make eventually make work optional i think and you probably will have a stratification of really healthy happy people pursuing things that they really love and and probably people that don't and who just are filled with malaise and ennui and chronic disease and so i guess that is the challenge is to move as many people as you possibly can from the miserable checked out category into the motivated healthy category so you know fair play it's uh, even in the way you just described it you, the diff key differentiator was mindset so let's again just hit that oh uh, yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah totally i think it is i think it is you, yeah it, it you know you can do so much damage or good to yourself with your own mindset it's, it's everything really okay so let's talk practical tips then let's talk routine let's talk about the basics that everybody can do any list anyone listening who's like okay do you know what nick you've convinced me i want to be the the first 250 year old i want to be cycling my bike all the way through my 150s what should they be doing now i like that you ended on cycling my bike because <laughs> yeah. I, I think the one of the most important things that people can do is move more. And again, this comes back to those four factors in biological age that we know are the drivers. So diet and nutrition, fitness, exercise, movement, whatever you want to call it, mental health, which is that stress and anxiety, peace, and sleeping well. And so that's quick question on sleep we can turn just, Go ahead. i just want to jump in on just want to jump in on sleeping how much of a difference does it make sleeping with a partner versus sleeping on your own well that's a complicated thing to answer because it depends like how well does your partner sleep uh, does your partner have insomnia or does your partner uh well you know, in my case no because i think that if you're having a healthy relationship and you're not upset with each other and there's a lot of love there. You're probably going to feel better sleeping with that person versus if you're not, you're going to, it's probably, you know, probably see the day more about, or something that you're not happy to be there. Um, so who, I've who, read who knows that, that people honestly. that take it really seriously. Yeah. Insist on sleeping on their own, presumably because we all move around a bit in our sleep. Right. And it uh -huh. can disturb your perfect sleep. So I, the reason yeah. I ask is, it sounds it sounds to me like in in your view it's it's not a huge difference either way and if you're happier sleeping with your partner then that's a nicer thing to do i think it depends on what you believe tom if you believe it's not as good for you you will not sleep as well if you right. recognize okay. that the social connection you have is nourishing your life and you have a good relationship with your partner it's going to contribute to your longevity if you have a shit okay. relationship with your partner and you're not happy to be next to each other and you go to bed upset and you go to bed late because you're having disagreements. So while you're reading your Kindles or whatever, <laughs> you, you know, you, 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 you sound like you're speaking from experience. Well. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can all draw from our personal experience. Those are the best anecdotes, right? And, yeah, and yeah. this whole question around like sleep without somebody, sleep with somebody, it's, it's probably driven. I think that it's driven by wearable scores, you know, watch. Yeah. Ring, yeah, yeah. I think so too. 
and getting the right sleep score, that stuff's only a general indication anyway. And you know, you might be sleeping fantastic, but your whoop band feels that your partner moved a little bit. So you get a 98% instead of a hundred and you can't brag about it on your Instagram. Yeah. Sleep by yourself. Sure. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, and so you mentioned, so we've, 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 we've talked a fair bit about exercise, discuss sleep very briefly, but in terms of diet, um, we do this, this, this show does have a, a brand partner, do not age.org, uh, who I know you have a relationship with as well, obviously make supplements. So I do want to ask about supplementation. Are there any that you feel are must haves? outside of, let's say, hormone therapy that we've already touched on. Um, give me a brief rundown on kind of what what your supplementation routine is and what you think the most important ones are. There's not really any brief rundown to my supplementation routine, so I'll be selective. Okay. <laughs> and the way that I'll place that is that in terms of the things we know we can do that I just mentioned, which are diet, nutrition, exercise, fitness, mental health, sleep, stress, sorry, stress, anxiety, and then sleep. If we are putting in the work there, then the next thing I tell people to think about is their own risk. So this would mean looking at, for example, the disease prevalence and occurrence in your related family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, parents, siblings, what diseases of aging did they encounter? Because that is the is a low cost, in fact, free way to look at your own disease risk. And you can then think about looking ahead in time, how am I going to support myself in my longevity to avoid getting those age-related diseases? Now that's the free way to do it. There's a little bit of power, and I didn't mean to dismiss it completely when we talked about genetics before, because there's a bit of power in genetics for looking at disease risk, because we can look at the genome and see the things that we are more likely to encounter than other diseases. And that science is, is being developed very quickly. It's becoming much better, and it can give us a decent idea of which diseases we are more likely to encounter. So for example, I've worked with self-decode. I've done their genetic test analysis, met with their genetic counselor, and I know that I have an elevated risk for macular degeneration which is a really shitty thing to get when you age. And I also have family history of some eye health issues. And so I know that I should be thinking about my eye health with my long-term supplement stack. So that's coming back around to your question. When you talk about supplements and we talk about longevity, you're going to put something into your supplement stack. You want to know it works because how long are you going to take mm. it for, Tom? Decades. Yeah, yeah. That investment, if you just add that up for one supplement that you pay $10 a month for, it's $120 a year, it's $1,200 every decade, you know, start adding it up, it's a significant outlet. You want to know that it works. So we can lay the framework for certain, the base supplements based on our given disease profile. So I mentioned prostate cancer earlier. I take, I have prostate cancer in my family, direct family, and I'm taking lycopene, which is an antioxidant that has got a lot of good data around supporting the prostate. 
I'm taking okay. a eye health stack that has zeaxanthin and a few other carotenoids in it that support eye health. Because I know those two things are in my disease risk profile, I'm supplementing to help myself because that allows me to get a direct source of the nutrients that we know are helpful for mm. disease prevention for those specific diseases. So that's where I suggest people start with supplements mm. because it's the long-term view that we can have confidence on for our investment and it's really related to our longevity. Moving beyond that, things start to get a bit more complicated. So personalization is, is, the, is the key thing here. Um, and I guess also in cloudier climates like my great home nation, vitamin D is, is pretty standard as well, right? The, 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 I've heard the winter being described as vitamin D deficiency season. Would you agree with that? Generally, assessment? Yeah. generally, yes. And the, this connects into where I say it gets a bit more complicated because there is a baseline of supplements that are low cost and have good effectiveness provided okay. that they're a quality source. Okay. So this is great that you mentioned do not age. I should just clarify, I'm a strategic advisor to do not age. And I, anytime I reference them, it's of benefit to me financially, but I will mention this as objectively as I can. Mm. I like working with do not age and using their supplements because I know that the quality is there because I can see the entire pipeline. And the supplement industry is full of people trying to make money and cut corners, particularly a lot of products that come out of China. And we got to be careful around that. So you got to always be thinking about that and knowing that you can trust what you take. But once you clear mm. that hurdle, taking vitamin D is probably good for most people, but the only way you really know is with the blood test. And thankfully it's mm -hmm. not very expensive to purchase a vitamin D blood test. And in fact, one of the great developments in this entire space that I talk about on the blog is that you can order your own blood tests in the UK, in the US, in Australia, many yeah. other countries around the world without going to your GP, without going to the doctor. You can order your own blood tests. So you could order your own blood tests, see your vitamin D level, and look at if it's in the reference range and know if you should keep taking vitamin D or not. Maybe you find out it's 5,000 IU a day you should take. Maybe it's 1,000 IU a day. Um, but something like vitamin D is important because it's a fat-soluble vitamin. It's in fact, it's not even actually just a vitamin. It's a hormone in the body. It's important for testosterone. And it right. is one of those things that we can easily measure and get that level right. So I know how much I should take every day. I'm not going to say that because other people will just copy me. It's going to be different for every single person. And that blood testing becomes involved. Not every supplement is like that. I think that a high quality fish oil is going to benefit most people unless they have a lot of fish that they eat in their diet. Those essential fatty acids are valuable for the integrity of your cell walls and how your cells in your body actually work. Is it, a, is it an inflammatory oxidative um, exposed fat molecule or is it a healthy, stable one? Fish oil is generally a good one. Um, and, and everyone can benefit from a quality multivitamin, in my opinion. Um, you're mm. going to excrete the excess B vitamins. That doesn't mean you're losing everything else. It's a way to kind of cover the spectrum to use a healthy multivitamin. So I use the thorn 
basic two a day nutrients, something along those lines. Because it's a high quality mm. source and it's a, it's a good one with absorbable forms of most of the vitamins that I just have that in there. I'm not necessarily measuring the impact of that, but I'm willing to accept that I'm blind to its impact because I think in terms of measuring its impact, because I think overall the solid framework that has been developed that these are the essential nutrients for the body. Here are some that, that leaves me covered. Mm. Yeah. You can't go wrong with a multivitamin, can you? It's, uh, it's not going to do you any harm. Not I mean, medical it's, advice, as long as but, it's a healthy good ingredient and it's Sorry, produced God. safely. Yes. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, very much so. Um, okay. All right. Great. Well, look, um, I'm uh, conscious of time. We've been talking for an hour. I feel like I could do another three. This is really, really interesting conversation. Um, alas, yeah. I'll have to wrap fairly soon, but are there any final thoughts or any, uh, anything that you've got coming up? You've mentioned your docu-series, anything else that you want to let the audience know about that I haven't covered off so far. Yeah. So I'm working on a project right now that will take my current website, nickengerer.org, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-E-R-E-R.org. And we're going to be rebranding that. So I've been working on that website with the longevity blog for the past three, four years. And I'm working on a new project to re-release that content with a greater focus on mindset and enabling people to make the right decisions in their own life in a personalized way, as we've been discussing. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it's something that if you just go to the existing website and get on my email newsletter list, I'll tell you all about when it's ready to go. And working on that has been shaped so much by many of the points that we've had in this conversation, particularly this last one around personalization and risk. Mm. Because once we realize the power of shifting our mindset to see that we don't have to get sick as we get older and that the older we get, the longer we stick around, the more technology is there to help us stay young, that the entire landscape of your beliefs can shift and you see the world very differently. Then you start to have a strategy. How do I exist in that world? It goes through what we just talked about, disease risk, looking ahead, changing the lifestyle factors that are going to be the most powerful for you. And then if you do all those things right, you can start playing around with the supplements. And then when we go into that space, we get into what I call self-experimentation. And it's the fun, sexy side of things that I talk about on the blog. There's several examples on there of doing this, and we won't have time to dive into them too deeply. But for one example, I engaged with calcium alpha-ketoglutarate, which is a supplement. It's a longevity molecule in that it's got research in it that shows improvement in the lifespan of C. elegans, which is a worm in rodent models, and then improving the biological age in humans, although not in a randomized control trial style, still a study that showed that we can improve the biological age of humans by supplementing with this AKG. So I took it for a year, measured my biological age three different ways before and after. It improved my biological age across those three tests by a median of three years, just taking wow. the supplement. That's really cool. <laughs> Anybody could do this at home. Anybody can do that exact same test at home. They don't have to do it for a year. I'm just a bit of an extremist and I really want to know the answer. Probably can see the results over three to six months. I got that supplement from Do Not Age. 
And I did biological AIDS tests from True Diagnostic, True Me Labs, and then I did a blood test where you can calculate if you have a, the right parameters in a blood test, you can calculate your phenotypic age, which is free, assuming you have the blood test. And across yeah. those three measures, we saw those improvements I just mentioned. So what does that tell me, Tom? It tells me to keep taking AKG. It's worth having it in my stack. I know that that's not perfect science. You could poke holes in that like Swiss cheese, but we, <laughs> we don't have anything better. And in fact, it's probably good enough. It's probably yeah. pretty good. I've talked to scientists about this behind the scenes and they like what I'm doing. They just can't say it because I haven't done it in 60 people with the placebo. Right. Well, that's it. I guess that's the thing about personalized uh, healthcare or personalized proactive health plans and supplementation is that there's only one of you. So you can't run the trial in 60, 100, 200 people. You can only run it in one. So the data is always going to be suboptimal, isn't it? It absolutely is. It's the art and the science. Mm. We have to find a way yeah. to use scientific yeah. principles, explore this in our own way that will work for us that we can that we can actually do. Because if we're not going to actually do it, it doesn't matter. And everybody's different. So this is, again, if we don't get that mindset piece right all the way at the beginning, like, who am I and why do I want to be alive and how do I work? Then getting the far end of the spear where we're talking about very specific things that cost you a hundred bucks a month. You want to know if they work. You're going to be missing things. It's really back to those principles and fundamentals before we come all the way over to the sexy stuff. But of course, people like to hear about the fun and sexy stuff, like improving your biological mm. age and um, all the other fun things we see people doing on Instagram that are attention grabbing. Just remember, as we end this conversation, that the most impactful things start all the way back at the beginning, shifting beliefs, thinking differently, engaging with risk, incrementally doing the right things in your life, adding a few basic supplements, and then you might be ready for some of the things you see when you scroll on Instagram. <laughs> for sure. Well, on that note, um, I think we can wrap up. But listen, Nick, it's been wonderful to have you on. Loads of really great stuff there. Lots of really actionable advice. So I hope people take a lot away from it. And um, thanks very much for joining me. It's been great. Yeah, my pleasure, Tom. I love talking to a fellow technology enthusiast and longevity sits right in that space. And it's going to be very exciting to see where we're sitting 10, 15, 50 years from now and what's possible for human lifespan. So let's all stay optimistic, excited and keep engaging with content like this. Thanks so much for watching, guys. Thanks.